All right. Welcome everybody to 1111 Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Haynes. And with us today, we have Christoph Zajak Denick. And Christoph is a producer and host of the podcast, I'm Kind of a Big Deal, where he interviews people of short stature, sharing the successes and struggles in their exceptional lives. Christoph himself stands at four foot four inches and has a rare form of dwarfism. He was born and raised in Detroit. And he then went on to prove everyone wrong who discounted his abilities. After graduating from Michigan State University, he worked as a TV producer and toured with a rock band. He now lives in LA where he is a drummer, an actor and stuntman, a surfer, a journalist, a speaker, and a photographer. Welcome, Christoph. Hey, thanks so much, Michelle. I'm so excited to be on the show. I'm excited to have you. And I'm just going to start by saying, go state. I love Michigan state. State. That's my team, man. I love your sweatshirt that right now I saw it. And as soon as you you (laughs) popped up the M22, uh, so many good memories uh, in Northern Michigan, you know, it's such a beautiful place. And that's one thing that I miss being in LA. I love summertime in Michigan. I know What's that one guy? He does music. I think his name is Kid. Like Kid, Kid Rock. Kid. Oh yeah, Kid Rock. Kid Rock. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, I've heard of that guy actually. He he sings about that. But, he has uh, that one song. Yeah, something about up north. And I love it. We're headed there. Uh, we go back usually a week every summer. Our family has a small cottage uh, on Lake Michigan in Cathead Bay, which is in Northport. If you know where that is. I remember Northport. Where is that in relation to Empire? Just north. So it's it's the okay. tip of the pinky finger. It's oh, uh, awesome. if you go up north of Traverse City through Sutton's Bay, you'll hit up yeah. in Northport. And then when you come down the other side, it's like Leland and then Empire and all that. Yeah, I got so. I got lost in some dunes on a sunny day up there. I kept I kept thinking that <laughs> if I go over the next dune, I would get to the lake. And then I got over that dune and then I said, oh, that's not the lake. When I go over the next dune, I'm going to get to the lake. It It didn't happen. Yeah. It's like just three hours later, you're like, I'm dying. (laughs) I should have brought more sunscreen, (laughs) more sunscreen, more water. I hear you. Yeah. I, I love Northern Michigan. It's like my Zen place. It's very special. Yeah. I'm super stoked to be going soon. So I hope you get back at some point to enjoy. I know you had said you were just back in Detroit, kind of, were you visiting family and such, or? I was visiting family and I was doing some media stuff for, I'm kind of a big deal as well. So I haven't, I hadn't been back for a year and a half. And so yeah, it was kind of time to see, see some people again. Well, I hope when you get back next time, you might be able to steal off to Northern Michigan and get some of that good, good yeah. sand dunes and water in. <laughs> well, I'll bring my sunscreen. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, well, I would love, I, I often with my guests, I get a little background on them. I, I want to know what it was like for you growing up, kind of what shaped you in your childhood to just kind of give our listeners a little sense of who you are and, and what formed kind of who you are today. So if you wouldn't mind kind of sharing with us your childhood yeah, experience. Yeah, for sure. So when I was born, the the first day uh, after I was born, the doctor came in and told my parents that I had a a form of dwarfism. They didn't know what 
form it was. Um, but they were definitive enough to be able to tell my parents that I wouldn't run ever in my life. I would never ride a bicycle. I would never live a physical active lifestyle. And my parents are both very independent, headstrong, you know, we can't accept this answer type of people. And that's what they did. And so they found a doctor, they found out a way to get the exact diagnosis of my dwarfism, which is cartilage hair hypoplasia. And by two years old, I started to see a specialist in dwarfism. And so my parents trusted this doctor and for good reason, he was really a revolutionary and incredible doctor for uh, little people. And so started to see him at two and he set up a surgery, you know, prospectus for the, my life. And he, it's kind of incredible because we followed exactly what he said and that's what I needed. And I was <laughs> able to prove the doctors that, you know, birthed me wrong because I have done a lot more than riding a bike and running in my life. And, you know, all the, all that really just comes from my parents and their attitudes. And I've learned in my life that upbringing is pretty much everything. And mm -hmm. that's really how, at least how I see people make decisions. It's how I've made decisions, whether I've done something or have not wanted to do something. I kind of use my parents as some sort of a litmus test or some way to gauge whether or not doing something or not doing something is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my parents weren't necessarily into riding bikes in the mud behind the forest, but <laughs> that's, you know, I still will blame them for doing it because they showed me adventure in a different way. And, uh, you know, I had to learn my confidence in, in going in the mud and the bikes, you know, behind the forest, because that taught me that even though I do have a dwarfism and I do have to have surgeries in order to maintain mobility without pain and, <laughs> you know, do this to live a, an active, relatively normal, no one's normal, but, you know, um, live a life where I can function and get around in a society that is not made for me. I have mm -hmm. to build up the confidence and I have to do that. You know, when you're a kid, you do it however you can. And mine was going on trails and getting dirty and, you know, messing around in the woods. I, I did that too. <laughs> it's a Michigan thing, right? I, I mean, know. It's, it's a perfect place to do it. Go out and play. <laughs> Go out and play. Absolutely. We have yeah. woods behind our house. Sweet. I mean, That's I'm I'm 40 as well, so I didn't have the technology that kids have yeah. nowadays to distract me from keeping me outdoors. So I, I, I love that I grew up when I did because me too. I think I would have been so much more distracted and so much more uninterested, disinterested in the outdoors and nature and everything. Yeah, I I agree. I'm 50 and. Uh, we the outdoors was our playground always even if it yeah. wasn't an actual playground we used trees and built jumps and had our bikes and yeah tromped through the woods and went ice skating and all of that I loved it I really really grateful for how I grew up with that um I am too uh so a couple of questions that popped into my head one was that doctor who was the specialist that really 
set you up with the right plan going forward. Was he, did he just happen to be in Detroit? Were you guys lucky or was he from somewhere else in the country? He was based in Baltimore, Maryland. So we traveled twice a year at least to see him. And every time I went, it was, you know, we would set up the appointment, get in the night before, stay in a hotel. We would wait nine hours in the waiting room to see <laughs> Dr. Kopitz because, and for good reason too, because as soon as you got into the office, it was as though you were his only patient, you know, yeah. he just devoted so much time to you and your situation and your condition and talking through everything. It was, you know, he really was a wonderful doctor and an, an incredible man that just treated you like the in the way that you deserve to be treated and that's again so rare these days especially i mean i i don't see doctors regularly now and i don't i don't have surgeries that i need to have done um you know it, it, i don't foresee myself having surgeries in the next 10 years mm -hmm. um so i'm not seeing doctors but from what i know there really aren't any other doctors that were like Dr. Kopitz these days. And so it's, I've really lucked out in, in getting the care and getting his time when I did. That's awesome. Yeah. And again, credit to your parents for seeking him out and finding him and, yeah. and really, you know, pushing for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Are, are your parents um, still alive and married and in your life? My parents are still alive and in my life, they were never married and oh, okay. they're, they're actually no longer together. So, um, okay. but yeah, they, you know, they really worked together in a big way to get me the best care I possibly could get. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I can only imagine the gratitude for having those kind of parents in your life and shaping you the way they did. Like you said, they're, they're kind of your, your basis from which you now make decisions based on how they would have thought through them. So that's a big, big uh, shout out to them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They weren't so much into like grunge rock and roll, but I was. <laughs> that's, yeah, well, maybe, that's maybe where we diverge, but. Uh... <laughs> I often assess people based on their musical likes and dislikes. So what kind of music were they into? Um, the classic, both listened to classical and my mom mm -hmm. liked jazz as well and my dad liked bluegrass all right well i can get down with all that though yeah for sure yeah. me too my dad right also my dad also loved um garrison keeler um a prairie home companion i don't know yes. if you ever listened to that oh my dad listened to that too and we listened to so many episodes of that and i think that's where i really just kind of fell in love with audio storytelling and um and, and really thought that that was so cool to to create the story in your mind based on what you hear. Was that show broadcast on WJR? Do you know? My dad listened to WJR like it was nobody's business, but I remember him also listening to that. He listened to the radio a lot. My dad, I don't think it was WJR. I think it was WDET, actually. Mm. Okay. NPR station. But I could be wrong. My dad listened to WQRS, which was the classical station. I yeah. think he listened to WJR and WDET. 
That's so funny. Actually, those those were the three stations my parents listened to. Yeah, yeah, we listened to. I just remember WJR a lot. My dad listened to um, Tiger Baseball quite a bit, and yeah. he would sit on the front porch and listen to Ernie LK Harwell, ALK Line, and Ernie yeah. Harwell. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, too funny. Good yeah. memories though. Yeah. Well, with that childhood, I know you had. When was your first surgery? How old were you? I was six years old, six years old. And then again, at 16, those were two major ones, correct? Yep. And then again, at 17, I had a spinal fusion. Uh, Oh, and so as a kid with those surgeries, how did that affect you emotionally? Um, you know, I didn't know anything else. So when you're this ball of clay, you just kind of have to go along with what you're going along with, you know, there's nothing else to compare it to. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that Dr. Kovitz had my best interests at heart and my parents did too. And at six, you know, you don't really have a choice. Mm -hmm. The the doctors and your parents say, you know, this is what's best for you. You can't really stand up and say, no, it's not. I don't want to go (laughs) through with this. And I'm, I'm pretty amenable. Like I, I wasn't so depressed. I mean, we never focused on how it was such a defeat that I needed this operation. And also when I was six, my parents took me everywhere. I was at the zoo. I went to Tigers games. I went to school. I I saw my classmates, you know, I probably weighed 40 pounds plus a cast (laughs) and they had to move around the, um, the, uh, wheelchair. I was in a prone wheelchair but you know i was fine i was happy and then i thought physical therapy was a game i just yeah that i could win you know and i just i just went in and and won physical therapy on my own and that was that was really fun like getting my knees and legs to move again yeah it's just a good time you know <laughs> whatever all right I, I was just a happy kid though you know i just i enjoyed going out and exploring and everything and and yeah, it was a setback to, to have to have surgery. My mom said that when I was 16, it was more difficult because, you know, I had already established friendships in school and I liked other activities like playing drums. And um, I can't remember if I had taken driver's ed before that, but, you know, there, there were other elements of my freedom that I was missing out on when mm-hmm. I was 16 that I actually knew about but I still was fine with it. You know, I I had good friends and they would come over and visit and bring me food. And uh, one of my friends made me mixtapes of some of the music that we loved. And I listened to it every single day. And it was, it was a fun, weird time and it just molded my life, I guess, you know, right on with those experiences how do you think that shaped your life as an adult in a positive way? Like, well, you overcome adversity. You, you learn how to approach the obstacles that are in your path um, with the idea that you can overcome those obstacles. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's good to see, you know, you have this problem and it's coming up in, four years, two years, one year, six months, and you have to prepare for it. And you have to think about how you're going to 
manage it and get through it and plan to um, have help because listen, you have to ask for help at this point. You know, you can't, when you're in a body cast, you can't get around and you, in order to do basic functions, yes, the ones you are thinking of, you have to have help for all of those things. And your hum humility kind of goes out the window and, you know, it's, it's just kind of important to be able to see that and, and accept it and, and know that, you know, one day at a, t at a time is an important way to think about it because you will get through it. You know, it's just mm -hmm. a process and it's not forever. And um, yeah, I, th I think it made me stronger for dealing with problems and issues down the road. Yeah. Just the ability to deal with reality in a tenacious and, yeah. and uh, determined manner, I guess. Absolutely. Right? And takeaways, uh, in the opposite direction, do you feel like there are aspects to everything you experienced relating to this growing up that, uh, you know, th that give you your issues? You know, we all have our issues. Like, yeah, for sure. You know, how's, how's that been? What's that look like? Yeah. I mean, one of the issues I struggled with in um, growing up, I think at all ages is ableism. You know, I think I'm equal to or should be equal to be able to do things that anybody can do and yes a lot of little people will say that and I've, I've said that too but there's it's a double-edged sword in that statement because we are able to do things but also you know I'm not going to do certain things that are going to put unnecessary stress or wear and tear on my body that I don't need to experience. And, you know, I went out for the basketball team in junior high. I'm four foot four, you know, I'm not going to make the basketball team, but okay, cool. You went out for the basketball team. You have the confidence to do that. But honestly, where does that confidence actually get you when you need to accept yourself and realize that you want to have longevity in your physicality? Mm -hmm. And so um, I dealt with that for, I, I probably, I'm probably still dealing with that. You know, I, I sometimes will probably do more things than I should be doing. And some stuff I know I I'm completely fine with doing and other things I'm, you know, you always kind of test yourself to see mm -hmm. what it is that you can or can't do. And that's just life. But I, I do think the ableism and not accepting my dwarfism and not seeing what my limitations are or just being okay with seeing what the limitations are and feeling okay to talk about them and discuss them and be open about them because that puts a little confusion in your brain where you say oh well wait if i never talk about this then there really isn't a problem or there really isn't ever any sort of limitation, but there actually is, you know, because um, I'm short and, and they are there. And I think it's, you know, it's not a, it's not so much a problem when it is something that you want to do, but when it becomes something that you are pushing yourself too hard or you're comparing yourself or you don't want help for something that you probably need help for, you know, little people have <laughs> 
all little people have different experiences, different abilities, different pains, different, um, some people have had surgeries, other people have had no surgeries. And it's such a case by case basis. And it's such a personal and intimate thing that you have to deal with and address. And so, you know, being okay with yourself is a tough road. And I think that's what, what, that's one of the things that's been the most difficult for me is just being okay with myself in the physicality and the, the social aspects as well. Right. I mean, to some degree, everybody deals with that, but then you add on another layer of it with, with just being a little person, right. You know, yeah. you're, we can all think of ways that we feel inadequate or that we compare ourselves to others, but then to, just to compare it at that level isn't fair because you do have other aspects. I was just in a friend's apartment in Denver the other day, and it was an apartment designed for a person in a wheelchair and, mm -hmm. and it was open. So he was able to get it. He's not in a wheelchair, but he noticed the count. Everything's a little lower. Mm -hmm. the design of it that was, has all these features for somebody like if you're in a wheelchair how would you reach things but still it had cabinets above the top of the refrigerator it's like what the hell yeah. who could ever get up there you know what is the point of that like why would it be designed that way and so just and that's a rarity to even find a place that has that available right so just yeah. thinking about how many things that I don't think about on a daily because I'm, I'm not having to deal with it and just trying to put myself in your shoes and try to think like how many things must come up every day. That's like, uh, that you've just learned to deal with. And I, I would imagine like that whole going back to kind of proving that you can do something sure. I bet there's a whole shitload of stuff that, that you can prove you can do, but wouldn't it be nice to not have to prove you can do something and just be able to, I don't know, yeah. not, not have to prove that yeah. more often than not, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's such a huge thing that you bring up because a lot of it is the most simple thing, which is just being around other people, you know, just to say that we can be around other people and other people don't have to make a big deal about it, or they don't have mm -hmm. to point us out. I'm 100% open and uh, will talk about my situation and my condition to anybody just about, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, I understand that it's a curiosity, but to prejudge and to not accept I think is it's really a uh, it's a downfall and it's a it, it just hinders moving forward in society and it's 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 really tough for us because we are visibly different than mm -hmm. just about everyone you'll see mm -hmm. and I understand that it's confusing I 100% get that because you can look at someone in a wheelchair who is of average height but maybe they had an accident or maybe they were in a car wreck or they, you know, developed a disability over time. And I feel like that is more easily to comprehend than someone who was born, you know, four feet tall or three feet tall. Cause 
that's just crazy. And that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, you know? Yeah. Or just wondering like, um, what, what is it like to, to be that person? And yeah, what are they like personality wise, you know? And, and do I, if I'm walking by and am stopping to talk to them, do I stay standing up or do I squat down? So I'm eye to eye, you know, like I, that's what would be going through my head and I'd be afraid I'm going to do the wrong thing or I'm going to be offensive when I don't mean to be, you know, that's kind of the thoughts. And so I would imagine with that kind of thinking that there's probably people that avoid you Absolutely. because yeah, they don't huge. know how to be in relation with you. Right. Yep. And then that in and of itself is now weird and rude and shitty, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, for sure. And, and I, I've, I've learned that a lot of people want to know how to call us or what is the yeah. appropriate term or, or what. And so I've, I've learned that I need to turn this into a call to action. And so, you know, I'll, I'll say, yes, you know, you can call us little people or dwarves or people with dwarfism or short statured midget is the offensive term that, you know, people will find hurtful if you, if you use that term and with good reason, because it harkens back to um, days where we were, equated to small insignificant beings but the thing that i call to action is i i I challenge people that if they do feel interested or comfortable enough to introduce themselves the best way to call us is by our name and that Mm -hmm. means you have to introduce yourself and that means it could be a messy or uncomfortable situation just like all introductions are messy Mm -hmm. and uncomfortable and weird you know, but if you go ahead and say, yeah, that's just a person. Mm-hmm. I can talk to a person. Mm-hmm. That's how I've met my friends in the past. I can just go up to someone and say, hey, my name is Michelle or I'm Christoph. What is your name? I just wanted to say hello. Yeah, that's so easy. And it goes so far, you know, if you do that. And if something funny happens, guess what? you're both probably going to laugh at the awkwardness in the situation. So, you know, it's just like anything else. And, yeah. and then, you know, once you ask that, I think when you talk to them, when you talk to a little person for a moment, I think it's appropriate to say, Hey, I really don't mean to offend you, but is it more comfortable if I stay standing or would you like for me to squat down? You know, we don't want to feel infantilized, which mm-hmm. some people this is what I talk about on my show. I, I want to give the opportunity for people to voice their opinions on how they feel they want to interact with people. And so if you bend at the hips, this, I mean, these are technicalities, but like, how would you talk to a child? You probably bend at the hips and you get in front of them because you want to correct them or something like that. But we are adults as little mm-hmm. people, you know? And so I, I've personally, I've found that when, uh, someone squats down, it's mostly females, uh, squats down to talk to me eye to eye. That's an attempt to get more present and be more mm-hmm. in, in touch. Also, I've had women uh, that have shared attraction with me get down on the eye level and then want to kiss me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like in yeah. a party, party or some sort of situation. It's not just in the grocery store where they're like, hey, come on. <laughs> I saw you grab that cereal. Now come over here. 
but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's personal preference, but I think asking us like we would have an opinion right. that should be valued is okay. You know, it's totally fine. Awesome. Yeah. Um, that is helpful. Yeah. I am one that would pro- probably, I like to be eye to eye with somebody. So I would have the inclination to do that, but also in my head, I would think, is this what they want? So you're right. Like just freaking ask, Yeah, you, you know, can ask. It's, and it's, you know, and honestly, we're all doing the best we can in this world. And if somebody asks me, Hey, Christoph, are you a midget? I was just curious, you know, I'm not going to blow up on them and say, you know, what kind of world is this? Uh, Jesus, you know, it's, and just go crazy. It's like, if you, if I teach you about it and then you keep doing the wrong thing, Mm there is a disconnect there where you don't really care. And so that goes beyond just, you know, being curious and wanting to do the right thing. That's, that's, I don't know what that is. It's not okay. But if, you know, you're genuinely curious and you want to know, I'm happy to talk to you and share, like, let's, I'm not here to create more confusion. I'm here to squash the confusion and make things easier, hopefully for all of us. Right. And uh, yeah, just kind of move past it. Right. And, and get into the good stuff, which I want to do right now, which is a rock band, a drummer. Drummers drummers are always a little crazy. (laughs) (laughs) They were always the one in the band. This is when the interview goes off the rails. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So how'd you get into playing drums? I always loved music and, you know, I would listen to Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Green Day. And I just loved that stuff when I was 12, 13, 14, 15. And my friends were going to purchase instruments and I couldn't get my hands around the neck of a guitar. And I have smaller hands, short and fat fingers, which are pretty much terrible for playing guitar. And, uh, but I could hold drumsticks. And so I decided that that's what I was going to do is get a drum kit. And thankfully my mom was, uh, encouraging of that purchase. And cause I've practiced every single day. I was just always on the drums after school for an hour or two. And I loved it. You know, it was, it was a creative outlet and I'm sure my mom kind of loved it because I wasn't asking to go party or hang at friends houses all the time and I was at home working on music but um yeah it's uh, you know rock and roll uh showed me the way you know nice and and I I just I just loved it and then you know it turned it ended up turning into a career for me I, I went to college not for music but then after college I I barely got a job in my field um that's not true. I did get a job in my field, but it was really, really difficult. And, you know, after school, I was living at home in my mom's basement. And I just decided that, you know, if I, if I turned 40 and I didn't try to play music in my life, I asked myself, would I be upset with myself? And the answer was yes, I would be. And so I just, I woke up at 8am every day and practiced music. I, I would, 
practice rudiments and just get as good as I possibly can. And then I played in some really terrible bands in Detroit <laughs> and, you know, you bump along and learn how it goes. And then I started a rock band with some friends and that was six years of my life where we built it up from nothing to selling out thousand seat venues in Detroit and playing with Iggy Pop and the Stooges and being That's... on road, being on the road for two months at a time. And we played Kobo arena in front of 15,000 people, you know, and um, that was another learning experience because at home you get all this press and you're on weekly magazine covers and stuff like that. And in the Detroit news and free press, and then you go play San Antonio and you have to fight with the bartender to get $50 of gas money because nobody was there to see you at all. Uh. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a very humbling, but so fun. I mean, yeah, it was incredible. That was the time. And then, you know, after that, I started to play, professionally i didn't make money in that band but i did you know i learned a ton and after that i made connections so that i was making money doing travel dates and studio gigs and casuals and weddings and corporate stuff so okay well cool and then from there were you still in detroit when you started making money doing the other gigs or was that after you moved to la um it was very quickly that i i it was quick and short lived in Detroit that I was making money. I ended up, I quit my band and the, the touring band. And then I, in order to save up money to go to LA, I was working as a TV producer at two different community television stations. And I was playing drums in a cover band two nights a week. <laughs> so my, my time was just, all taken up in in all kinds of ways because i would i would be editing the news at you know until 4 a.m friday morning and then saturday friday night and saturday night i'd be playing gigs in the clubs yeah um you know so i i was i was driven to just get the money and then you know go so i I didn't really do that stuff until after i moved to hollywood and um and i've also moved back and forth to michigan a couple times yeah what, when did you know, like, when did it become your dream? Like, Hey, I'm going to go to LA for what? Like, uh, probably a year or so before I quit the touring band, you know, it took me a long time to decide to actually quit, but when you get to see the country and the world, it's, you, you think of things and you realize that, okay, at some point, maybe I'm going to have to move on from my my situation and and you make some lists about what's serving you and what isn't serving you mm-hmm. and um i kind of figured if i'm not making money in L- in detroit maybe i should not make money in la <laughs> and see how that goes um but you know i did end up making money in la and i had a lot of con uh, contacts before i moved to la and that was the I had some friends and some contacts and those are catalysts to get mm-hmm. out here and, and try something new. And you know what? You can always go back to where you're from. I agree. And, and that was always in, in my mind. And I've, I've done that a couple of times. I've come back to Detroit to, for different periods of uh, amounts of time. And yeah, it's, you know, life is a crazy ride and you just have to keep 
keep plugging away and as best you can. Yeah, that's the truth. And, uh, you know, a big point of my podcast is when something's kind of calling to you or you have something, this itch to, to go for it, you know, just to move in that direction, scratch it, check it out. There's, there's gotta be something there for you, even if it's not what you thought it was going to be, you know, there might be another reason. Yeah. Yeah. So many times it isn't. So when you made that, that jump and you're like, to heck with it, I'll, I'll go scrape by in LA, (laughs) you know, at first, and you went to just check it out. What, what did you get into? What opened up for you? Um, a lot of stuff opened up for me. I, I would check Craigslist 10 times a day on the gigs page. I didn't get a job when I moved to LA and I only had a small amount of money. I got a cheap place to rent. Before that, I had stayed with some friends for a couple of weeks, very kind friends that let me sleep on their couch and take up their space and, you know, bug them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I got my own place and yeah, I would just look for gigs and that was, that was what I did. And I had a couple folks help me out. A, a couple people help me out. Um, somebody gave me a gig on a, uh, it's called the TO show as I think it's Terrell Owens. I think that was the guy's mm-hmm. name. He's a football player. Mm-hmm. He had a show and I was hired as a lighting grip, which being little and not being able to lift stuff. Yeah. Also, there's a lot of ladders involved and reaching. Like, I'm not the guy. Also, I had an agent at the time and I got an audition on one of my work days and I left to go do an audition in front of these, you know, these four other grips are working on this show. And they're like, oh, yeah, this guy's got to go to an audition. <laughs> it was not what you're supposed to do. But because I was working for a friend, you know, it was okay, I guess. It's not not <laughs> a place where I'm going to seek further employment. Um, but then I ended up, you know, you, you kind of put yourself out in enough situations. And I ended up getting uh, to play drums on the Ellen DeGeneres show, awesome. which was huge for me. Um, you know, the biggest gig, one of the biggest gigs I've ever done in my entire life to this day. And it was really cool because it was a good payday. You're very visible at home. You know, mom and dad can see that you have made it (laughs) something in LA. He really is doing it. (laughs) He's really doing it. Yep. Um, And that was awesome. And then uh, I, a couple weeks after that, I ended up getting hired to be a stand in on a Universal Pictures film in New Mexico. And Universal moved me from LA to Santa Fe. And I had the time of my life, one of the best summers ever still, you know, awesome. I made really good money. I made amazing friends. I had such a fun time hanging out with the cast and crew. I learned so much about the, the movie making industry. And I, I honestly, I wasn't going to take the job because it wasn't music. And I was so stubborn and in my own head that, you know, I'm a musician from Detroit in LA. I do music. That's what I do. And I called up a buddy of mine who's a well-accomplished drummer. And I said, hey, this is what's in front of me. And he's like, man, are you stupid? Like, 
you need money, right? You got to work, right? Take the gig, go make money, go, you know, music is still going to be here. It's not, sometimes I need like a strong arm to push me in some directions. <laughs> yeah. A but, smack upside the head. Like, honestly, dude, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, and in hindsight, knowing and trusting that opportunities cross your path for a reason, right? Yeah. That changed my life. All these things, you know, ended up changing my life and, in, in, you know, in financial ways, but also in personal ways and in relationships. Yeah. As well. it's, and is that where the shift went from solely music to, hey, maybe I'll get into acting? That helped a lot. Yeah. I, they, that production made me eligible to join SAG. So I became union after that show. Um, I did work on one show before that as an actor. And that was a really eye-opening experience too, because I hadn't been around little people. I never wanted to be around other little people for 30 years of my life. And once I worked on this production, I, it chipped away at, you know, that hard shell. And I, I thought, okay, this is, this is something I can do. This is something I can be around these people and it's, it's all right. Okay. That's something I wanted to ask you about. Cause yeah. I, I read that somewhere, maybe heard you talking about it at one point on your podcast. So yeah. what's up with that? <laughs> well, uh, you know, there are a lot of self-confidence issues that I've, I've dealt with and you know, we talked about some of the medical issues, but there's a lot of social struggles and strife that little people go through. And, you know, you mentioned that you, you can't really imagine how hard it is. And like, you can't because it's, it's difficult for every little person out there. No one, if they're going to, if they're being real with you, I haven't spoken to one person who has said, oh yeah, this has just been easy. Like mm -hmm. this has been really this has been really pleasant my entire life right it, no it's issues not, no problems no issues no problems yeah and you know the bit one of the biggest ones you've already said is people avoiding me they don't want to engage they don't want to to do that and so what happens when you see people trying to avoid you or they're making fun of you or they point you out or they want to take a photo of you because mm -hmm. you're so rare and different guess what you don't want to be around another one because then people are freaking out that there are two of you and that's even more rare. Holy cow. Yeah. Gotta definitely get a photo of this. And, you know, I didn't want to associate that's, that's another part of the ableism that I really mm -hmm. just ingrained in myself. I didn't want to be associated with somebody else who couldn't do the same things that I could do, or I didn't want to be associated with somebody who could possibly do more things that I could do. And they were also mm -hmm. little, you know, it's just a messed up, you know, situation in your brain when you're trying to navigate all this stuff. And I, I probably haven't, I've, I've been in therapy for a number of things and I don't think I've necessarily talked through all of the issues that I need <laughs> to talk through, but I'm realizing more now that they have always been there, you know, yeah. and it's an important thing to be able to recognize that at least and say, yeah, okay. You know, this is, this is a topic that, that needs to be addressed. And, you know, I understand that. Yeah. Sure. I think and, and I, th I think also it's, it's really tough too, because 
you know, not only when you when you hear of somebody going through surgery or they have to spend time in a wheelchair to correct some sort of issue or to recover from an accident or something like that, a lot of people are just really helpful and supportive. And, you know, because that that can be a really traumatic event or period For of time sure, in your life. I would think. Yeah. Right. So imagine if you're a little person and you have to go through that. And then also, once you've gotten out of that traumatic situation, you still have to step back into public and have people make fun of you and avoid yeah. you and take photos of you. It's, it's a really misunderstood situation that we all go through. And it, it, just, it just makes it tough. So yeah, so avoiding little people was a protection mechanism for myself. Sure. I didn't want to associate none of the bands that I saw or were in or played with ever had little people around so why why would i right. ever associate with them for you know at all for any reason whatsoever right like to be put in that like uh category in a way like oh well you must yeah. hang out with other little people because you're a little person it's like instant why? spike of anxiety yeah. yeah and now that i'm older i wish i would have because i wish i would have had that community and learned about myself and my people in mm -hmm. a better way sooner in my life, you know, because that's only a better thing. Did that, was that part of the motivation for starting your podcast? Yeah, definitely. I, I was encouraged by a friend of mine to start my show because of all the weird and strange jobs that I've had and the incredible stories that I've just like accumulated in my life. <laughs> And I showed a, an episode, or I think I showed the trailer to a, a friend of mine who has uh, is a little person, and she instantly said, oh, why do I identify with, I totally resonate with everything that you're saying. And that was when the light bulb went off and said, okay, this is everybody's story that, with this. I yeah. want to share everybody's story. It doesn't have to be, like my story will come out when I'm talking to you or if, I, if something mm -hmm. comes up in my show, but I just want to, I want other people to share their stories. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really cool podcast. I oh, enjoy it. Um, just hearing all the different stories and different perspectives and, and highs and lows and all of it. And I like too, that you also kind of do your own individual episodes where you share something that happened because some of it's so crazy. Like <laughs> there was one about what the heck was it for a music video? I feel like, and the, they put, didn't they put shit over your beard? Like they stuck stuff on you and just they put, insanity. They put insanity. Spirit. It was the worst. It was one of the worst treat. I, I've, I've been treated really pretty well on just about all the sets I've worked on, you know, mm -hmm. outside of the, if you don't count the costumes and the, you know, we don't want people to see your face. So we're going to cover you up. Okay. I got it. You know, this is the job, but yeah, that music video job is pretty close to the worst treatment I've ever had on a, on a set. And, um, you know, it's out there. I've been in the industry for 11, over 11 years and this still happened to me. And yeah, you know, it just, it goes, it goes on sometimes. And when you need the money, you have to take the job, mm. right? It's how else do you That's get the money? That's a tough pill to swallow. It's a tough pill I'm, to swallow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, spirit gum in the beard, especially when they had beard trimmers and they wouldn't use them. I know you even asked about it. That's such BS. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of get the feeling that Hollywood can be shitty no matter what. Yeah. But do you definitely think it's fair to say that it's even shittier towards little people? Like you're just viewed as less than in oh, the yeah. industry? I'm- I, I'm I 100% agree with that. I think we're treated the worst out of everyone in in Hollywood because, and I and, and you know we're not far behind us are you know people of color, transgender, you know mm-hmm. any sort of difference that is uh, quote unquote off putting to you know the the buyers and sellers and in the industry um but you know i on one of my latest episodes in the in the podcast i posed the question of who is your favorite little person and endorser like who do you love that endorses a product or a brand of of some sort and and what is their name and what do they endorse and the answer is you can't name one you know Mm -hmm. there, there are none there or yeah yeah for branding especially you know you can think of a couple really famous little people but it's not like for nike or or beats headphones or yeah Yeah, headphones or mcdonald's or bank of america there's nobody right like we are not coca-cola we are not seen as comfortable enough to be you know selling your products or representing your products and even within all the inclusivity and stuff i've I've seen um there's one there are a couple of people that i know that endorse some small brands um they're not well known in in that regard but the other thing is there's uh, there has been a little bit of motion forward, which is really great. You know, I don't want to just be mm-hmm. harping on bad news because I could, I can talk poor, like I live in Hollywood, you know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> I, I've chosen to live where I live, but I'm also choosing to decline all of these jobs that just make me feel like less of a person um, and keep me down because that's not what I want to do. And it's a, yeah. it, that's a tough pill to swallow when somebody says, Hey, we want to pay you. 500 or a thousand dollars for three hours of your time to do something really, really stupid and you need the money. Yeah. That's tough, right? Everybody yeah. wants, you know, 500 or a thousand dollars for three hours. Um, but uh, in 2020, it was the first time I ever saw a little person in a corporate commercial as a person. Right. Just first time I've ever seen that. And she was just, uh, her name is Alexa. Incredibly. She was in a holiday commercial for Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and she wasn't an elf. She wasn't a mythical fairy caricature of a human being. She was a woman in a dress at a party with friends laughing, just like everybody else was laughing. And you know, it, it blew me away. It, it was just yeah. mind blowing because I've never seen that in my, you know, decade plus my friends who've been in the industry for 20 and 30 years have never seen that because I pulled them and said, 
have you ever done this? Have you ever seen this before? Has there ever been a job like this? You know, Tattoo was running around Dunkin' Donuts stores, oh you God. know, being gimmicky in his way. Yes, you saw his face, but he wasn't just a guy. He was you know? already famous for being Tattoo. He was already famous right. for being Tattoo, but he was also, you know, it, it was just making fun of his yeah his height just like his his role in uh fantasy island was you know to be kept a secret and never to know who this person actually is and you know what his background is and right you know and so this was the first time this ever happened and then she booked another commercial this year i believe it was for pet smart and it's so cool just i mean she's not saying anything and she's not like this, this is what kind of upsets me is I'm like, okay, cool. Thank you so much for this, this carrot. We deserve the, you know, we appreciate this so much, you know, thank you. Even though we're not going to say anything, you allow us to show our faces and okay. Yeah. It's a step forward, but mm-hmm. you know, let's keep this forward momentum going. I encourage sure. this because not only are there people that deserve to be seen like this, there are talented folks out there and I'm not saying yeah. me, I'm saying, you know, think outside the box and get creative that with a role that isn't an elf or a leprechaun and right. show us for who we actually are. Yeah. And I think for Alexa, correct. That yeah. she hasn't had a speaking role yet and she will. And, yeah, yet. and is, I want to know, who's responsible for that progress? Obviously she is with her skill and her determination. And I'm wondering, is it the work of her agent or someone in casting who's like, this is, we're going to change this. Like, where is this coming from? It comes from higher than that. It's the writers and directors and the clients. Okay. And do you know who they are? Like, do you know, like, oh, that so-and-so is the one that's going to write little people into these scripts and commercials. Very slowly, I am meeting those people. Mm-hmm. Um, access to those folks is a, is a pretty difficult thing to attain. Um, and, you know, because I've been in the industry for a while, I'm, I'm very slowly starting to, to meet the folks that are the decision makers. Because once it gets to casting that role is solidified you know my agent can suggest oh how about you know we do you see Kristoff for this because he's bald and has a beard and you know whatever (laughs) and casting can kind of pacify that request in a way and just say okay sure send send us his info you know i rarely have ever been chosen to audition when my agent does that and (laughs) that's because honestly casting is trying to keep their job and if casting keeps trying to send undesirables to the agent and production mm-hmm. you know guess who's not going to be really taken seriously all that yeah. much anymore is casting so the the goal is to go to the top and and say you know client that's the top is the client they're the one that's paying out the most money and so the client has to be okay with a little person, you know, a difference, a disability, some sort mm-hmm. of thing, because I, I've, you know, I've, again, I've been in the industry long enough to hear stories where people have suggested 
how about somebody in a wheelchair? How about somebody who is African-American or how about mm-hmm. somebody who is, you know, of Asian descent or a little person or whatever? No, 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 no. That's no, that is too risky. We're not mm-hmm. going to do that. And so, you know, it really takes a lot of times, you know, I've, I've heard people say it's really in our hands. You know, we have to make the content that will push and and direct audiences to say yeah yeah this is okay like we're not afraid of this Mm -hmm. this is amazing but you know there are still instagram accounts and youtube channels that highlight people with dwarfism in you know a really greasy and terrible way and they follow us and allow comments to be posted where it's it's keeping us down and it's, yes it's, it's a tough it's a tough thing i imagine there's um animosity between those who are really pushing to be seen as just an actor or uh and be just being taken seriously and then those who are profiting from and playing up the joke of it at all for whatever their reasons may be so it's like you're hurting our cause and they're like, I'm just doing what I'm doing for my own reasons. Does that yes, make sense? And it does make sense. It, it happens, but you know, what's the loudest voice in all this? Right. It's money. You know, money is gonna money is gonna be the the first and the last in all in all this. And so I know little people who will bend to that because yeah. they have to live you know you right. have to you have to survive and i and i don't i'm i'm not against playing an elf ever in my entire life again mm-hmm. you know i'm i don't want to it, it's not what i want to do especially now i'm turning down all that all these jobs like that but i don't want that to be the only thing that i do you know right. i don't think that that isn't what's that's what's unfair to me is that it's it's not balanced. It's just skewed all the way in one direction. And the other side of it just really is neglected and avoided. So I, I'd be fine playing some messed up character. I love playing stuff that's weird and, you know, doesn't have to have a backstory. I'm tired of playing stuff that never has a backstory. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about, so let's talk a little bit more about your, your podcast and of the guests that you have had on who stands out the most that, that really just hit you in the heart or, or just impacted you in some way that you weren't expecting. Oh man. I mean, all of them, <laughs> it's, it's so hard because, um, uh, I interviewed a woman, Kristen DeAndre. Um, did I say her name wrong? I'm just going to say Kristen DeAndre, I think is her name. Yeah, that's it. Um, and she underwent limb lengthening operations. She chose at 12 years old to uh, have limb lengthening operations, and they're very painful. They, she took three years to lengthen her limbs. Um, she gained 10 inches. So she was supposed to be 
four wow. feet and she's now four foot ten. Um, she wrote a book about her experience. She's given a TED talk. She now works for the doctor who um, performed the the operations on her. I mean, she's just an incredible human with an amazing story. And you know, even this is this is a perfect setup for or perfect example of what I'm talking about when somebody has to go through. Uh, all of these operations, but the social struggles are always there. So she went through all these operations. Her legs and arms look like they've been attacked by sharks because they ha she has so many scars. Mm -hmm. um, and she's very happy with her decision. She said that she, if she had to do it all over again, she would choose the same route. And, you know, she finished up with her operations, I think when she was 15, went to college, you know, I can't remember if she was in college or if she had graduated at this point, but she was walking with a friend and on the side of a house in her neighborhood, somebody had written midgets suck in spray paint. God. And so, you know, and instead of breaking down and crying and losing it and just she saw it and was hurt and kept going, you know, and I guess the next day she said that, you know, by then maybe her friends came and, and removed it or took it down, but it was gone. But, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> to go through three years of maybe it wasn't experimental, but a very painful personal process, you know, your own decision and to always be seen as this, you know, othered entity, mm -hmm. but to like have, have, have succeeded in this like incredible surgical feat and this personal struggle, you know, to just walk down the street and have somebody, you know, deface you like that. I think that just sums up what, what it's like for us and I, and it's 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 really hard and it's really hurtful that that is what is easy and what has been so many people's experiences because right. it's it's just it's so hurtful and it's so it's so dumb and and that's and that's why i really feel that exposure to these stories mm -hmm. is the best thing because people who meet me and spend time with me don't put my having short limbs first. They don't put that mm -hmm. above my personality or they yeah. don't put that above me being hungry all the time or, you know, whatever personal <laughs> quirks that I have, you know, um, the way I pronounce some things because I'm from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's, they see me as a person and messed up and loved and funny and difficult, just like everybody else. But right. I, I think when you just qualify somebody for however they look, just because you don't understand it, it's, it, it's, it, it can be really, really bad. And, and that's, you know, so that for was sure. a story that, you know, I didn't know. And I, I read her book and her book is incredible. It's such a, it's such an amazing story. Um, I just loved it, you know, and, and learning about her was, was so eye-opening because it's, it's such a similar experience to mine. 
and yet it's so different. Yeah. Yeah. So there's plenty there that's relatable and still so much that isn't that, that you're learning more about other people's experience. I think the podcast is great for that. Like you said, hopefully just opening people's minds and raising awareness because it's honestly, I met you what, I don't know, a month or so ago at the podcasting uh, podfest. And I'd never thought, I've never thought about this kind of stuff so much. So it's, it's a great thing, you know, and I think it's a great thing that you're doing it. And I, I hope you continue to do it. Me too. I'm having so much fun with it. It's, it's great. You know, Yeah, it's excellent. And I, I want to know, you know, we'll probably wrap up here soon, but I love, I've tried surfing. (laughs) Yeah. So did you learn to surf when you were out in California or did you learn to surf on Lake Michigan? Because there are famous surfers that grew up in Michigan, (laughs) believe it or not. Yeah, for sure. Um, My buddy, Dan, who lives in, uh, he's in the UP. He wants me to come surfing every winter. He says, oh my God, grow out your beard, Christoph. We we need to get ice beards together. I'm (laughs) like, nah, man. I'm not doing that. Like I'm cold in Southern California. I'm not going to like a polar vortex surfing with y'all. Um, that's crazy. Where are they? Are they surfing on Lake Superior? Yeah. He's he or knows is he on Lake Michigan side of the UP? It's Lake Superior, I believe. That's insane. Yeah. That's dangerous, man. That Lake Superior's nothing to be messed with, man. No, I know. That's no, a powerful the, the lakes in general are yeah they got power yeah for sure yeah well that's really interesting that's a trip i might have to talk to dan someday <laughs> i'll put you in touch for yeah sure. right on uh i was in the up last year i hadn't been since i was really little and we drove just did a trip across the northern part and went kayaking by oh, pictured yeah. rocks and all that i'm like oh, it's so gorgeous i want to co- go back and just go backpacking yeah. through there it's absolutely stunning so that's really cool and do you do a lot of surfing out in california i do yep um i'm actually staying in malibu at the moment and so i'm two miles away from where i love to surf and so i go when i'm when i'm not completely exhausted in the morning i go as early as i possibly can in in the water by five or five thirty yeah that's cool i was in san diego a few months ago and i would just my first time there I, I absolutely love it I love it there. I can't wait to go back sometime and I just every morning I would go out to this dude Felix was selling coffee from his coffee cart super cute funny little surfer dude and I'd get the coffee and I'd go sit and do a little guided meditation and then just be absolutely mesmerized watching the surfers early in the morning. It was so fun. It was yeah. really peaceful. Um, I tried surfing, gosh, probably 20-ish years ago. I was down in Hatteras, North Carolina for a summer. Oh, yeah. And my boss, I worked for this dude at a crab shack called the Mad Crabber. And <laughs> he took me out one morning on a longboard and I could, I got up and, you know, had a little push. It was so fun. And I'd like to try it again, but man, I'm 50 now. I better, I got to get some good stretching in and (laughs) some, some exercise before I'll try that again, but yeah, get your stretching in, but that's all good. Once you get your stretching in, yeah, you're, you're good to go for sure. 
the good thing is I snowboard now and it's a lot like snowboarding, the balances. So that's one advantage I will have for sure. So if I'm in the area, I will, I will, uh, and you're in the area, maybe we'll go surfing together. I'm totally down. That sounds incredible. That'd be fun. So tell me what else you've been into these days. It sounds like you're super busy. Something about a movie. I don't know if that's anything you can talk about, but yeah, I'd love to know what's keeping you busy. Yeah. So much has been keeping me busy. I, um, got connected with this, this director, his name is Tommy Corey, and he's doing a visual podcast on people who do things who don't look like they should be doing those things. And so he's Mm. uh, specifically around the outdoors. So he, um, got in touch with me and I'm part eight of his series and we got my film sponsored by a company and we shot for five days traveling up the coast of California and I surfed in a bunch of locations and then went into the redwoods and Mm. um, the Fern Canyon up in Eureka. I mean, just incredibly beautiful places. And, you know, he also shot an interview with me about dwarfism and my podcast and what the outdoors means to me and surfing and, you know, why I feel like, you know, getting my word out and exposure is such an important thing. So I shot that and then I slowly made my way back down through California and stopped and uh, met some wild sea otters. And I surfed surfed in a couple locations and went kayaking and um, just, you know, I I feel like I decompressed after my, um, my shooting days. And then I, the last five days I've been back in Malibu and I've been decompressing from my decompression. <laughs> COVID all, yeah. yeah. COVID has, has also been, uh, it's, it's hit me pretty hard and I went 13 months without working at all. I went 10 months yeah. without any unemployment. I've moved 10 times. Dang. Um, and I've almost moved back to Michigan two or three times. And so, you know, it's, it's just been, really all over the place for me um and so i have these really high highs of hey we want to make a documentary film about you or we want you to be in this music video that's going to showcase different ability oh there's also a music video that's coming out that i was Mm -hmm. a part of another director shooting people who do things who don't look like they should be doing those things Mm -hmm. um some of the most beautiful footage I've ever been in. And um, so that project is coming out soon. There's also another documentary that's a little bit longer about my life and dwarfism and drumming and the podcast and surfing as well. Um, So there are these really high highs of, you know, showcasing my life. And then there's also these situations where I'm like, can I sleep on your couch for three weeks? Is it okay? because that'll keep me in California and that would be really helpful. So, um, is that cool? Yeah. It's just been really, and then there are other things too that, uh, you know, I don't want to bore people, but you know, (laughs) personal stuff that's also been, you know, it's been a time life doesn't stop because there's a pandemic or work doesn't happen, you know? Yeah, there's always going to be the the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows. I always think of it as actually riding a wave. So when yes. things are all 
cruising and good, it's like, enjoy it because something, something always happens, you know, and it'll, it, and then that will, that too shall pass, you know? And so you got to, you got to take the good with the bad. And it sounds like things are taking a turn for the better now, which is awesome. I am super stoked to see that series. Is it, do you know when that'll be out? Um, he has released uh, maybe five or six of the um, films already. Uh-huh. So his website is tommycorey.com, I believe. I believe it's tommycorey.com. Um, I'll, and, uh, we'll get it for can, sure and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll include you, that. You can see his photography and uh, there's a link to his films on there as well. And so he's okay. he's released, I think, five or six at this time. And okay. His work is so beautiful. I don't know that I've seen more beautiful sunset shots in my life. He's such a awesome. Good, and, and the cool thing is, too, this is what's really cool. Shout out to Tommy Corey because, man, that was such a great experience. Um, he's a one man band. So cool. he's shooting everything. He's doing all the audio. He's lighting everything. Jeez. He's choosing all of the locations, the camping, the Airbnbs, all the stuff on his own. Then he's cooking gourmet every single night. Stop it right now. That's I had, incredible. I had the best, you know, poke bowl. And um, he made a Korean pancake with salmon, which was incredible. The guy's just uh, beyond talented. I can only speak, you know, super highly. And Ten Barrel Brewing was the, the beer company that sponsored yeah. the, the work. You know, Ten Barrel? Yeah, well, I was just up at Copper Mountain this weekend, and there's a Ten Barrel Brewing. It's oh, one awesome. of the restaurants I hang out at, and they sponsor a lot of the events there. So yeah, familiar yeah. with them for sure. Yeah, so Ten Barrel picked picked that up, and Brad, um, you know, just super cool, super amazing. So, uh, I can't wait to check it out, and um, I look forward to seeing all the new things that come up for you. I think you're going to keep doing amazing stuff. You know, you have that grit and that determination and a beautiful spirit and such interesting you're just cool that's all you're just cool (laughs) you got so many things about you that are interesting we didn't even touch touch on the fact that you're a photographer too i saw that on your your website so yeah that's probably what i do the least um i i haven't shot so much recently i you know it's funny because when there's so many other things that are kind of consuming you, I find mm-hmm. photography relaxing. I do it just mostly for fun. Um, but for the longest time, I just did not even want to pick up the camera. I just, I felt too much pressure from other things mm-hmm. and it didn't feel like fun to me. So I just, I just didn't, you know? Yeah. And, and when it's not fun like that, I don't know. I just, I don't necessarily want to do it, but mm-hmm fair enough yeah <laughs> right but you know thank you so much to you because I, i'm so stoked to have met you and i i i love your energy as well and i think uh your your podcast is such a great idea and you thank have you. such you have such a like loving and fun and curious and inquisitive nature about you and i i wish you the best as well and i hope your your, your show goes uh goes super far Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's one of those things that I just felt like doing it. And I think it's going to be a good thing. I have no idea where I'm going with it, but same here. (laughs) I'm, I'm enjoying it. I love to talk. I'm, I joke. I'm, I'm a hair I make my living doing hair and 
I, I get to meet so many interesting people and we have such awesome conversations that I just wanted to kind of capture that. And logistically, it's not always reasonable to do so in the hair studio, although I'll probably have some therapy sessions that I put on the podcast, but, um, you know, and I was also that kid that got talks too much on her report card <laughs> growing up. So, yeah. um, I, I definitely enjoy meeting lots of interesting people and learning new things and being inspired and, and hoping to share that. So others feel inspired. So yep. this is definitely an episode that I feel a lot of people will find, find something for them in it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And so if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Yep. You can find me on Instagram at big deal pod, uh, Facebook at big deal pod as well. And you can listen to my show called I'm kind of a big deal. That's awesome. Where I am. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you being here and I've enjoyed our conversation and I imagine our paths may cross cross again down the road. Hopefully Maybe they in do. Northern Michigan. You never know. You yeah, never know. for sure. See you at the asparagus festival in empire. <laughs> that or the polka fest up in Cedar. Oh, oh, dang. All right. Well, I'm Polish, so let's do it. Oh, You've got to go to Polka Fest. <laughs> I, they didn't do it last year because of COVID. I have no idea if they're doing it this year, but it's a hoot, man. It's pretty awesome. fun. But all right, Christoph. Well, until next time, Absolutely. we'll see you. Thanks we'll so much. Thanks bye so bye. Much, Michelle. Bye. Take care. We'll see you. Well, I really enjoyed getting to know more about Christoph. Our conversation has opened my eyes to how to be in relation with a little person. Christoph is such a funny talented, kind, creative, personable soul. And I'm a better person for having crossed paths with him. That's for sure. I hope you found something from our conversation that resonates with you and inspires you. If you like what you've heard here on 1111 Calling, please share on social media or with a friend. Follow or subscribe and leave a rating or a review. All of this helps me reach more listeners. Thanks so much and much love.